Blog Talk Radio. Radio program. I'm Susan Larison Dan, and I am so happy to welcome you all back here today. And a big thank you right at the outset to Blog Talk Radio for putting this show on the front page today with a reminder. And so I do want to welcome those of you who may be new to the show. Whatever your walk of life, wherever you're coming from today, joining us, um, you are going to find that today's show is very meaningful for you. And I have already spent quite a bit of time, and I'd like to spend a lot more time, with a book that you are going to find is very relevant to where you are, wherever you are. Because in a moment, I'm going to bring on the line Mark Thurston, who has a Ph.D. and a tremendous amount of experience as a teacher. And I will tell you that his book, which he has recently revised. This book has been out there, and this material has been out there, and maybe you have, you may be, I personally don't know a ton about the Edgar Casey materials, and yet this book brings out some very meaningful content from that, and the book is called Discovering Your Soul's Purpose. And it is based on finding your path in life, work, and personal mission, the Edgar Casey way. And it's the second edition. And I want to put out a special note to those of you out there who are coming from the realm of Christianity. I myself started out as the granddaughter of an evangelical minister. And I will tell you, there are things in this material that are going to grab you very quickly, like this notion of glorifying God with what we are guided to do. You are going to find deep resonance with this material. So, so I encourage you to be open and listen today. And then those of you coming from all kinds of spiritual paths, um, I welcome you here today. We can all learn from this. Let's um, talk a little bit about Mark's background before I bring him on the line. Um, Mark has been working with this material for for many, many years. Um, He is a psychologist. He has written more than a dozen books um, on personal spirituality, dream psychology, all kinds of ways of understanding ourselves. Um, He did work for the Association for Research and Enlightenment. And, you know, we've all heard this A-R-E term 
term thrown around a lot in the spiritual world, and we should reflect upon it, the Association for Research and Enlightenment and what that means. He worked there for 36 years. Um, He has worked in university settings with students. Um, He is also the founder with his wife, a co-founder of the Personal Transformation and Courage Institute, which is a nonprofit And I know we're going to have a wonderful conversation today about discovering our soul's purpose and what that means. So I am going to bring Mark Thurston on the line now to talk with us. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for Uh, having me on. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. And um, I, I find... You being here right today is actually synchronistic for me personally, and I sense it is for many people out there who are listening either live or across time, is you bring to us some very concrete ways of working with this. Just what are we to do? Who are we to be? So so help us, Mark, enter into this material as to... You know, what, what is our soul's purpose? How do we come, and what is this process of discovery and how it continually unfolds? Well, I think there's a lot packed into those words, discovering your soul's purpose. And yes. I like to emphasize the discovery word because I think this is an ongoing process. I don't think it's a single task that we undertake that takes a week or a month or what have you, and then that's done. I think we're always finding new aspects about our lives that allow us to use our strengths and gifts and talents for a greater good that produces a sense of really deep meaning in life. So in a lot of ways, the book could have just as easily been titled How How We Find Meaning in Our Life Through Our Career and Our Family, Our Relationships, Our Community Service. And to me, there's something soulful about that. I know the word soul has religious connotations, and in my own Christian upbringing, I, that was a word I was very comfortable with and still am. Yeah. I think yeah. soul is also the realm in which we have our, our core values, that, that which makes life meaningful to us. And so this is really an inquiry into what we hold and believe most deeply about our lives and then how we put that into practice and the way we're doing our vocations and all, also just the way we are in life with others. Yes, yes. Um, I appreciate something that you explore, which is so important, and I know many of us feel the tension in this area, is the relationship between doing what it is and discovering and finding what it is we're called to do. And we may have clues to that, and you help us to find these things. And then also that, you know, the realities of life and and maybe what our misconceptions are about the relationship between flowing into that mission and wherever whatever we're called to do, and then you know bringing in abundance to support us in that work and having um, that faith. And this is a very complex question that actually comprises your entire book <laughs> in a way because you you actually have a whole chapter related to abundance. But I guess I really want to get at this is. I have had so many callers, so many friends, my own life. There's this relationship here between we, we seem to struggle sometimes with abundance. I know people who have quit their jobs, of, you know, a number of people who are on, you know, 
their this path that they feel is their mission as a writer, as a teacher, whatever it might be, or people in jobs who maybe are, you know, bringing in tons of money but feel empty, and and yet we need to find that balance. So so help us, help us to step towards finding that balance. Well, are you saying a balance between sort of the pragmatic realities of living in a material world and and also following yeah. your calling? That's the balance we're looking for. Yes, yeah. and also the miraculous world. There, there. It seems that that you and I know. I hope we have time to explore um, towards the end of your book. You you talk about several several um, steps that that we can or what we can understand about the law of abundance. But before we step into that, um, yes, how can how can we begin to trust on this path? of looking for our soul's purpose, and, then, and not worry while we're doing it so much about the abundance asset. How can we put that, how can we find that balance so that we can freely explore what our purpose is and trust that we'll be able to work with the other things as well as we get there? I think some of this has to do with doing things in the right order. Sort of first things first. And uh-huh. if we start off just wanting to have abundance in our life and we're not clear about our core values, if we're not clear about our central strengths and talents, if we're not clear about sort of what our mission is or what we're here as a calling, then we're kind of putting the cart before the horse. But if we can get those things first straightened out, then we can begin to think through what the resources are that we need in order to fulfill that calling rather than I want to get abundance going in my life and then once I got the money flowing then I'll figure out what I want to do. I, I just think these things have to be done in the right order. Yes, yes. I I feel that and it, it seems like um, we do get confused about that. Although, you know, there's the the basic, you know, needs, I know you're a psychologist, and and um, there, you know, I, I don't think you reference it in your book at all. But you know, there's that hierarchy of needs that um, that need to be sure. met in life, and so so I guess um, you know when you're working with students, for example, I know you've worked with many students in a in a university setting, right. and they're right. really determining what it is that that um, they're called to do and still, you know, right. have a a successful path in life. That doesn't mean greedy or anything, but just a, a, a supported path. Let's use that word. Right. Um, how do you help them step into that? What are the steps to, to finding you know, that path? We, we, we've looked at some of the uh, science of happiness research that's been done, and I think one of the more interesting findings is that there's sort of um, a correlational link between happiness and income that goes up to about $50,000 a year, $75,000 a year, depending on where you live. And yeah. then beyond that, there's almost no correlation between increases in income being related to increases in happiness. Yes, so yes. I think that's a real eye-opener for emerging adults to see that maybe there are some basic fundamental needs that we need to have covered. But beyond that, Happiness is coming from something very different than monetary flow. 
But abundance means something more than just dollars. It's more than just what you're writing on your 1040 tax form. There's abundance around health, around energy, around friendships, around lots of the deeper resources of life that we need in addition to dollars. Very true. Very true, because if you don't, you could you could have all the financial abundance in the world, but if you don't have your health, you're not going to be able to to really pursue your purpose in in life, or you know that's very clear. So so stepping back so that we don't get too too occupied with the abundance here, but it does. This is a recurring theme that comes up often, and that's why it's something that that strikes a chord with me. How to find that that balance. Let's step back for a second and kind of define some of our terms a little more deeply in terms okay. of this notion of a calling, of a mission, and, and how Edgar Casey um, brought that to us, how he saw that as something that, that mm-hmm. we should be looking for in life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think Edgar Casey is an interesting and very valuable historic figure in terms of spirituality and transpersonal psychology in 20th 20th century America. Um, He was rather conservative Christian. He was born in Kentucky in 1877, attended church all through his life, taught Sunday school, read the Bible all the way through once for every year of his life. He was very rooted in his Christian faith. At the same time, he had an appreciation for how some of the things that come from Eastern religions can deepen our quality of life and even our spirituality, things like meditation. And there were many people who came to him because he demonstrated this gift for intuitive wisdom. And there many people came to him and asked for guidance around calling in life and life purpose and soul purpose. It can you know lots of different terms that mean roughly the same thing. And what I found from studying the transcripts of that advice that he gave more than 2,000 people over a 40-year period was that there was sort of a pattern, there was sort of a template for how he suggested people do this kind of self-inquiry process that could yield a sense of life purpose and a plan for how to, to apply that. If we think about the word calling, I think it's a really valuable one because it suggests that we need to listen. We need to be kind of in a receptive state. It suggests that maybe there's a a, a wisdom source or a knowledge base that that's already aware of our our destiny or what we're really uh, here to be about doing and serving to contribute to a greater good. And yeah. um, I, I think the word calling has often been associated with a religious vocation, like call to the ministry or called to a cloistered life and so forth, but in the Reformation period, um, one of the big changes was that people began to see how through any kind of a vocation, we could really be serving the divine, that a person didn't necessarily have to enter a religious order. He or she could be a, a cobbler or a traveling salesperson or a teacher or most any other kind of occupation that serve the community and serve the greater good, and that could be a calling. That could be using one's God-given talents to to serve a higher purpose. And so I, I think that sense of calling is really one that we're all invited to consider, that um, 
there's lots of different ways in which we can be about spirituality. We don't necessarily have to have religion as a front burner theme in the way we earn our money, but we can still be using our career, we can be using our occupation to serve something bigger than ourselves. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny. I have to tell you that um, I'll give an example that I saw not too long ago. There was a fellow who um, worked at the dollar store, young man, and um, every time you would come through the line, and he's actually not there anymore. Maybe he was a student passing through. I don't know. He would have this. He would say things like, enjoy the world, or he'd, he'd, he'd just smile, this radiant smile. You know, you're yeah. buying a few things, and and you just got this feeling that this kid was touching every single person that came through that line. And he just had this radiating way about it. And there I felt, and you know, that may not have been his ultimate purpose. Who knows where this, this kid went on. But there was this feeling of, look, here he is, a cashier at a store and touching people every day with this, this smile. And yeah, I think that's a fabulous smile. example. I think that is a fabulous example. It reminds me a little bit of a, a reading, a discourse that Edgar Casey gave for a man who was a postal delivery professional. And this uh-huh. was back in the 1930s, you know, when there's more door-to-door postal delivery maybe than it is nowadays in a lot of communities. And he was told by Casey that his calling in life really had to do with lifting the spirits of people that he would contact day by day and just delivering the mail. And yeah. so... It wasn't so much that there was something about his expertise as a postman as much as it was just this, the quality of his being that he could bring to his interactions with people day by day. And being a postal delivery man was a way of getting in touch with folks. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it can take just, just an encounter with someone like that for only a second, and your whole day is uplifted. Um, There's another person in our community who's a gas station attendant. Same thing. Um, I I get gas every Sunday for some reason. Um, That seems to be when I go. And this this fellow is there, and he is just – I even told him, I said, you know, you are – thank you for for being who you are. You know, because he's just another one that's just bright and um, friendly, and, and you get this feeling that you're right, no matter what it is you're called to do. Um, in, and it's a, there's another message from your book here. It's in the moment. You know, these people passing through these jobs, maybe that's what they're doing now, and this could be true for people out there listening. And it's in the moment, isn't it, too? It can be, you know, very yeah. much what you're bringing to what you're doing in the moment because of that discovery word that you talk yeah. about. It's a lifelong process. So I want to lend just a little more specificity to our conversation around life purpose and calling because yes. I think listeners may be thinking, oh, he's just saying everybody's supposed to smile and be friendly to each right. other and that's all right. there is to right. life yeah. purpose. But I think there can be something more. Yeah. Because we all we all have particular gifts and strengths and talents. And I yes. think there's something in us that wants to make use of those in a way that will be meaningful and really help others. And yes. So if I were to give some more examples of of people who got help from Edgar Casey, just as one person who did counseling and mentoring and coaching for people around this thing. I mean, one person was 
it was suggested to her that her calling in life was to help other people through the difficult transition times in life. Yeah. And that there were certain talents and strengths that she had that made her particularly good in helping support somebody who was going through the loss of a loved one or changing jobs or moving from one city to another, that she was just really sensitive around these issues of transition and the kinds of changes people go through and standing in support of them, helping them to make that kind of transition. Now, given that as a possible statement of life purpose or calling, that still leaves her a lot of flexibility for how she might do that. She might be able to find an occupation where she draws a salary that involves doing things like that, but it could also be the way she does volunteer work at her church or the way she is with her family members. It wouldn't be just her occupation that would be the sole way that she could fulfill that kind of purposefulness or that kind of calling. Yes, yes. Um, when you talk about um, how we step into to finding or discovering our purpose, I know that you explore just how important it is to come to know ourselves. And and I wonder, Mark, is as we look for that deeper purpose as to, or purposes in our lives, mm-hmm. what explore that for us. What does it really mean to come to know ourselves? And, and what does cooperation, this notion of cooperation, yeah. have to do with that? I, th- I think... Um, because an early chapter in my book is about the spirit of cooperation, a sort of a starting point. And I think we have to adopt a friendly towards ourselves. I mean, we hear the word cooperation, we think of that often in terms of cooperating with somebody else, whether it's a spouse or your boss or your workplace team or what have you. But there's also a need for an inward cooperation in which we get along with the different parts of ourselves. And we have fundamentally a friendly posture towards the different parts of who we are. And I think most of us, I know myself included, tend to be pretty self-critical. Oftentimes it's much easier for somebody to describe what's wrong with themselves as opposed to what's right with themselves. And so I think just having an attitude of embracing our strengths, of being patient with ourselves, of giving ourselves room to fail or to fall down occasionally. I think that's kind of the cooperative spirit that I'm inviting the readers to for this self-discovery process. As you're exploring, I know that you help us to to identify our, our talents and strengths, and I wonder if we could take that a little bit deeper because you, you explore some really dynamic things that, that really help us to come deeper is like finding hidden talents, in fact, I'll hit two of them really quick, finding hidden talents, and then a really interesting area, reclaiming strengths hidden in faults, which is a courageous endeavor. So so step us through how we find these talents and strengths. So to give a little bit of context to this, um, I've been working one-on-one with people for 35 years around these kinds of themes, and I've also had a workshop, kind of a one-day workshop on this topic that I've probably done in 50 different cities over the last 30 years. And so I've developed some exercise, sort of self-inquiry exercises that I outline in the book. And some of them have to do with sort of 
getting clear about what assets you have to work with in shaping your calling, to shape your soul's purpose. And the first place I invite people to look is just what are your accomplishments in life already? What are the things you've achieved and accomplished in life? Maybe pick three or four or five important accomplishments and then to sort of backtrack and recognize what the gifts and talents and strengths were that you had to call upon for those accomplishments. So right off the bat, that's going to give everybody a list of maybe six to 12 gifts and talents and strengths that they know they have because of their track record. But then as you were mentioning, I I invite the reader or the workshop attendee to kind of take it a little bit deeper layer. I've got um, a category of talents and strengths that I call the bench warmers. This is a blatantly kind of sports analogy because a team will always have more players on the team than can get in the game at any one time. So a basketball team might have 10 or 12 members of the team, but only five can be out on the court at any given time. And there are people that get to substitute in, but invariably there's one or two members of the team that always sit on the bench. They're kind of the bench warmers. They haven't gotten into the game. And I think almost all of us have some gifts, some sensitivities, some aptitudes that we know are there. We can just feel it. We can intuit it. But they haven't gotten into the game of life yet, either because we've been afraid or hesitant or just life circumstances haven't provided the opportunity. But we can sense it. It's just kind of a gut feeling. I I could be good at this or I could be good at that. And I encourage people to put that on their list, to put it into consideration when they're thinking towards a, a mission statement, not just the things you've already achieved or accomplished with, but also the things you can just sense are, are there. And then the other category that you alluded to a moment ago is it's almost too good to be true, but maybe we have some gifts and strengths and talents that are disguised in our faults and weaknesses. Yes. And this may be a, a strength that we have that we're overdoing or kind of using in a selfish manner or it's got it's gotten distorted in some way. So a person who is always talking too much may really have a gift for verbal expression, but they're overdoing it and all their friends yeah. are annoyed by it. But they really yeah. have that gift or that talent. And I think if we um, sort of look at ourselves with, with loving eyes, we may be able to recognize how even something that we criticize about ourselves could have an embedded strength or talent hiding there. Yes, yes. You know, as you're as you're talking, um I don't know, have you this this may seem an off the wall question, but I know that people out there can relate to this. Have you by chance seen the movie La La Land? Oh yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are things in that movie that I think directly relate, because this is a popular movie out there, because I know we're getting people, you know, just stepping into this. There are things in that movie that relate to what you're talking about in in multiple ways. And I'm going to pose two questions to you based on that movie, because I know, and I'll I'll explain it to the the context to those who haven't seen it. Um, there's a main character, two main characters in La La Land. One is an actress, and and deep down, you know, she... She clearly knows that she's called 
to be an actress. And yet she goes through quite a journey and where she doubts it. And at some point she says, you know, maybe maybe she wasn't even supposed to do it. So we have this character that, that has this deep longing to be an actress through her whole life that she her young life, she's fairly young. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. another character. Okay, yeah, so we can work with her. And then there's another lesson in the other character, too, that um, um, in this movie, um, who, well, well, we'll explore that in a moment, because that has to do with occupation and goal and how you get to a goal. kind of takes a, a roundabout way to a goal, which is very interesting. So, but But let's, you know, we have these longings, and sometimes we can even feel like we get sidetracked. You know, maybe you're an actress, maybe you're a writer, and and you go down another path for a while if you're later in life, perhaps. And so, um, or maybe you're even afraid of it. The whole Jonah complex you talk about at the right, beginning of right, the book, how yeah, you can be afraid right. of your talent. So, so yeah, work yeah. with that with us, Mark. A lot of rich material here to, to work with. Well, maybe we ought to just say a few things here about the Jonah complex. So the famous um, psychologist, Abraham Maslow, who was the co-founder of humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology, he's famous for, among other things, the hierarchy of needs that you made reference to earlier. So he um, describes what he called the the Jonah complex, referring to the Old Testament character, the prophet, who um, shied away from this calling to go to the people of Nineveh and warn them about their errant ways and how it was going to lead to destruction. Now, the more famous part of the story of getting swallowed by the whale, but Maslow says we all have a tendency to shy away from what we're really called to be. And um, sometimes there's a sense in us, oh, this is going to demand too much, or I won't be good enough, or I may fail. Um, some of us are more risk-averse than others, but probably to a certain measure, we all have tendencies to self-sabotage around our calling and around uh, our sole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I have a question just related to that. It seems that this is really very much related to our accepting ourselves because a lot of times our our purpose or in many creative endeavors, depending on what you're called to do, requires a degree of authenticity, of the courage to express authenticity at a level that asks a lot of us. And I can relate that to that movie as well. You know, that that character was called to, to it, it, it takes a lot to bring, you know, your right. authenticity. Yeah to your work and and that we can run from that you know we run just like Jonah you know we can run from that authentic calm yeah that's a I think that's such a great word authenticity you know I'm I'm working and teaching at a big public university I've got people of all different faith traditions I have um, I, I guess Christians is the largest group of students I have. Probably second largest are Islamic students, probably third Jewish. Um, but lots of other faith traditions, lots who are agnostic, some of whom are atheists. So I'm always looking for language, particularly science-based language, around some of these themes of how we shape meaning, how we make meaning in life, how we feel purposefulness. And, and authenticity is such a great word. I 
to me it, it resonates alongside spirituality. But everybody yeah. can really relate to those kinds of words. And when I ask emerging adults, when I ask a 21-year-old to think about authenticity, I think some of what comes to mind for many of them is, you know, what's my stuff and what's my parents' stuff? What am I really called to and what kind of expectations might my family, with the best of intentions, have put on me for my life or what I'm going to be doing with my life? So being able to kind of sort out what mom and dad or other family members are expecting of them from what they really feel is them more authentically is a really, really vital task, I think, at that age. It's probably a vital task throughout life, but I think it's particularly for emerging adults. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say, I mean, I know from personal experience, and, you know, we can carry that baggage for a long time. I mean, well into midlife where we can influences i guess in our life you know what what are what our our expectations and can often we can carry um those expectations can can persist (laughs) i I think but you're right when we're younger in particular and making those choices um we're very heavily influenced by by that so maybe we can just say that authenticity is a really important theme at lots of different stages of life in yes. regard to having a fulfilling, purposeful way of living. Yes, yes. And, you know, one thing I can say, Mark, is, and I think I'm sure you can probably relate to this, is, um, and, and I know there's a there's a group of listeners out there on this path, and it's certainly something that's influenced me, is um, it can take real courage to to be a spiritual person and, yes, translate and relate to people of all different backgrounds in a, in a, um, a secular, I guess we could use that word, secular setting, is that sometimes it, it takes courage because there can be judgment sometimes, like, you know, you know, what is that? You know, <laughs> or, you know there's judgment. Yeah. Out there, and how much of that is in our own head? Now, see, let's relate. You're you're a psychologist, you know. When we have these things that we're working with, like like um, that, can feel judgmental of spiritual things, you know. And yet, we know deep down these things are real for us personally. Um, this, it seems like this can be an impediment sometimes to flowing into purposes that may be related to doing, um, but whether writing about spirituality or or whatever just whatever that can very much relate to our purpose and yet these voices can can shut us down sometimes and make it harder for us to to step onto those paths you know one of the things i really appreciate about academia and universities is um, the ability to kind of revisit some words that have a lot of baggage and kind of unpack them and bring some objectivity to them i think spirituality is such a word uh-huh. For many people, the word spirituality is so wrapped up in religious traditions and matters yeah. of personal religious faith. But there's been some really fabulous work done in the last 20 years. For example, at UCLA, there's a Center for um, Spirituality and Higher Education. They, they use the S word. They use spirituality in the name of the center. And wow. they uh, were funded by the Templeton Foundation to do a multiple-year research project 
that involved collecting data from more than 100,000 college students across the country. And uh-huh. they published a book about their work called Cultivating the Spirit. And these, these are three academics. <laughs> um, yeah. The subtitle is wow. How College Can Enhance Students' Inner Lives. And yeah. what they found from their research was that there's five qualities of spirituality. And I actually have my students read a part of this book, and we try to work with the vocabulary that came out of their research that spirituality involves, first, um, the search for meaning in life. Second, it involves cultivating some sense of peace of mind or equanimity. Um, Third, it involves cultivating compassion or open-heartedness or caring about others. The spirituality involves getting engaged and being involved in the lives of others not just saying you're compassionate and that you care, but you're really doing something in your community to try to make a difference. And fifth, that spirituality is um, being able to see things from other people's point of view and not just your own. So sort of the opposite of dogmatism. Yeah. And it's a little bit different angle on spirituality than people may at first think. They may have more of a transcendental notion of spirituality. So this really comes down to earth, but it's a language that I think college students can uh, relate to, and it also allows them to be deeply respectful of each other's faith traditions without trying to you know, recruit somebody else or proselytize somebody else. But we're all on a journey about meaning. We're all trying to find peace of mind and equanimity. We're all trying to be more compassionate. We're all trying to do things that help others. And I think we're all trying to be more open-minded and be able not just to give up our own point of view, but be able to appreciate the point of view of others. Yes. Yes. And I have to say that I'm, I'm uplifted that you're seeing this in the university setting that um, that you're really seeing that. Because sometimes it feels like, I, I, I know that, that um, there can be in some quadrants this, um, this notion of rationalism that has risen up mm-hmm. and, and a little bit of hostility in, in that area. And, and it can be hard sometimes to... Um, I have friends um, who are very dedicated scientists, for example, and, and actually they, they accept that, that I'm on this spiritual path, so I'm not saying they're judgmental. But sometimes it's like, um, and maybe it's the rationalist in me, too, that you know the discovery of truth, and we're kind of deviating. I don't want to go too far afield from your, 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 your book, but um, it's, it's really kind of important, you know, how, how we become comfortable with our discovery of truth and and it it can we have our own flowing experiences of that and and sometimes we have to be careful not to judge that based on you know with some what somebody else's experience may be that may be more mm-hmm. you know based in whatever their view of science is and and we that can happen it seems in academics Settings, yeah, and, but, but I, don't, I don't think this is going far afield. I, I, I think this is okay, totally I'm on good. point. Okay, I'm glad you yeah. don't. I mean, don't. Just some things that would relate to what you were saying. If we think uh-huh. about the biography of Edgar Casey, whose work I studied for so many years, he named his own organization 
Association for Research and Enlightenment. And yes. I think the research yes. word is the key word in there because yes. it's implying that we really have to put these ideas to the test. We really have to try them out, sometimes in a formal experiment, but more often than not just to have an experimental attitude in our own lives, to try things and see what the results are. And just to swallow yes. things, talk, you know, as if it were truth, just because somebody else said it. And then I think some of the great scientists, Einstein among them, really had a sense of the sacred and the transcendent and the importance of our capacity for awe and wonder. And um, just because we are analytical and rational doesn't mean we have to also abandon the intuitive, feeling-based ways of knowing as well. Yes, yes, and it's so important to be reminded of that. Another one that I study something, Carl Sagan, who I know it was said he didn't, in an afterlife, and yet some of his quotes are amazing. <laughs> I mean, some of yeah. his explorations and his expansiveness. I admire him, and and um, I often smile, thinking that well, when he crossed over, he had he must have been just amazed and delighted, you know, to see how rich <laughs> that afterlife is, and whatever his, you know, I just I have come just so you know to believe in reincarnation, um, for example, and I know. Um, and and really know feel that this is the way that it makes sense and and works. But um, but anyway, um, you're right. Is that we need to be reminded that that many scientists have had this expansive point of view, even if they didn't. Even if they said, you know, I don't know if he ever said. There is no afterlife. That wouldn't be like Carl Sagan to say that. I just know that personally I've seen it said that he he just hadn't, it wasn't something that he he knew was was, was to be true. So, so anyway, yeah. no. It's, also I, to be, it's I, fine I, to be agnostic around something like that and just say, I don't think there's a way of knowing for sure, one way or yeah, the other. Yeah, I don't think he was, yeah, I don't think he precluded that it could be. I, I don't think that would be like yeah. him to do that. But, um I, I want to ask you a question about um, this notion of faith—not not a faith, but having faith—and another word that I, I don't know that you use it as much. I know you use faith, um, but trust—that one too—and how it relates to the to our our pursuing our purpose, our stepping down mm-hmm. that road and acting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, there's, there's the question of what do we have faith in about ourselves? And then we can also ask the question of what do I have faith in beyond myself? And, and they're both important questions. So typically the question of what do I have faith in beyond myself is a religious question. Um, it's a question about whether we believe in a higher power and then what relationship we have to that. But I think oftentimes the question that gets skipped over is, do I have faith in myself? Are there qualities about me that I know I can really depend upon? And those qualities aren't so much whether we're smart or analytical or good at foreign languages or things like that. I think it's more values-oriented. What do I trust is authentic in me and will always rise to the surface? sort of the best of who I am that I can really depend on in the long run. And 
if, if we haven't asked ourselves that kind of question, I think it's really difficult to be successful in living any kind of higher intention or calling or soul purpose. Yes, yes, it's that. It comes back to that notion of meaning again, and yeah. just how we 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 really do feel pulled towards that which gives life meaning. So I maybe we could revisit for a yeah. few minutes this whole question of what a what a soul purpose would look like. I, I, yes. I try to guide people towards writing a, a statement of mission or a statement of yes. calling or sole purpose. And it's a little bit like an organization or a company might have a mission statement. It's similar to that. That's often done in committee. Oh, yes. And sometimes yes. you can go into a, a business and you can see framed in the lobby this you know mission statement for the company. And typically yes. what it's doing is trying to name certain um skills that the organization feels like it uniquely has and what kind of an audience it's trying to serve and what kind of an impact in the world it's trying to make. And in a similar sort of way, a person can write a personal mission statement that might make for indirect reference to certain gifts and talents and talk about who you're going to try to touch and serve with those gifts and what kind of an impact you're trying to make. And I find that people sometimes are reluctant to try to write a mission statement because they're trying to write the final perfect draft right off the bat. And yes. In, instead, I say, you know, let's let's figure you're going to have multiple iterations of this. It's probably going to start off being longer than it needs to be. Sometimes people write a paragraph on their first attempt at a mission statement. And then over time, we see ways to make it more concise, to really distill it down into fewer words. And I know that over the years, my own sense of calling or my own sense of mission statement has evolved a little bit, even as I've taken on different jobs. But I found sort of new ways in which I could still be living that same sense of soul purpose, even if it was with a slightly different job. And my own mission statement, has, it has words in it like creating learning structures that will help people get a truer sense of who they are and their place in the world. It'll give them a hopeful view of their own lives. I've kind of different variations on that, but they all involve kind of using my creativity to create learning formats for people to get a new feeling about themselves. And so, you know, when I'm writing a book, I feel like I'm doing that. When I'm teaching a university class, I feel like I'm doing that. Um, but also when I'm playing with my 16-month-old grandson, I feel uh-huh. like I'm trying to create a loving, supportive learning structure for him to get a new sense of yeah. himself. So yeah. there, there's lots of ways, many of which don't involve earning any money, in which I yeah. find a lot of fulfillment, a lot of sense of happiness around that sort of theme that I've written for myself. Yes, I, I can... I, I really think that um, something that you're helping to guide us to do is to 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 kind of slow down for for a moment and and take time to reflect. And yeah. I know you do have these these exercises, and that sometimes we do we we rush 
headlong into these things, you know, without really, really giving ourselves time with, with letting it unfold itself to us, what, what it really is. Yeah. I think you'd probably yeah, agree that know, there's a lot of societal and cultural forces that are making it hard for us to really kind of wake up to this deeper truth about yeah. ourselves. I was going to say it seems paradoxical because sometimes there can be this deep knowing that you just kind of know it, but you don't quite know how to say it. <laughs> but you know it. You know it. You can feel it. You can get your and, – and to help people, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful mission that you have to help people really um, get a handle on it, you know, what it is because we're, we're yearning to get to this place. And so I I appreciate the concept of coming up with a theme and a and a mission because it, it solidifies it more. Um, whatever yeah. this thing is that we're drawn to. And then to look for small scale ways to do it, rather yeah. than oh I've got this new mission statement I'm going to quit my job I'm going to go find the perfect job and and maybe it for a, a rare individual it don't really does work that way and a very precipitous life change but I think for more of us it's uh, okay I'm trying to get I'm getting a deeper sense of what makes my life meaningful what would cultivate happiness for myself and others and I'm not going to rush into a new occupation but I'm going to start looking for ways in which I could bring a little bit different attitude to the things that are already on my plate or begin to look for different opportunities to use my free time and my creativity just in some small-scale ways, begin to test out that mission statement. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I have to tell you, I have, I really have been reflecting on this movie, La La Land, lately. And mm-hmm. there's another lesson in it that I want you to work with here that's related to this job um, theory. Is There's the other character in La La Land, and at risk of giving away anything from the movie, um, he ultimately gets to a goal. How, and But what's interesting about that is you got the feeling that the only way he got there, and there are there is some there's some sadness and poignancy. We're not talking about relationships right here. That's a whole area that's very important. But I'm talking strictly about career and his what his calling for work is in this case. Um, and what I you got this there's this irony in it that you felt like what actually got him to the goal was kind of going away from it or seemed that way for a while because it 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 helped him define it and fuel it and then that probably going away from it a little bit helped him to get to it <laughs> which is really interesting and it did have to do somewhat with abundance what does this have to do about jobs you say you know you don't you're not necessarily quitting your job tomorrow and maybe it isn't the perfect job maybe it's somewhat related to your goal like in his case he was a musician and he was doing some you know he ended up being in this popular band kind of thing which maybe wasn't exactly his goal and then he gets to a deeper goal for him and so Mm -hmm. i guess Mm -hmm. using that as an example I, i i sense that we have we struggle with our relationship to work and what it should be and maybe we're in jobs that are very routine. I know you talk about that, that some jobs can be repetitive and 
um, yeah. and you know, and how we how we relate to our work and where it's taking us, and like you say, our free time as well. Yeah, one one um, psychologist whose work I'm fond of, Roy Bomeister, is a social psychologist, and he's not the only one that's used this categorization to talk about work in terms of job, career, and calling. And yeah. sometimes those three can intersect, but sometimes we just have a our work is a job, and it's how we earn money to pay the rent and so forth. And we want yeah. it to at least be neutral and not life-harming, even right. if it's not the perfect yeah. job. We want it at least to be something that's a service to the to society and it's at least neutral. And then a career being something where we have a chance for development and advancement and calling may or may not be an occupation. It may or may not be a job where we're earning money. It may just be kind of a way of being in life. Um, and and it's, it's great when all three of those can converge, and there may be periods in a whole lifespan where there is an overlap of the three, but it's not always going to be an intersection of the three. Yes. I, well, I, know. I want to revisit this this notion kind of like the postman story or the um, yeah. person yeah. that you were referring to that just lifted spirits with every interaction. You know, yeah. Edgar Casey as a man himself living, you know, in the last part of the 19th century and the first 45 years of the 20th century, um, he, he's somewhat famous now as a spiritual philosopher and one of the early advocates for holistic health and and yet, for most of his life, his, his job, his career, was as a portrait photographer. He um, uh-huh. he was just really good with a camera, taking uh-huh. portraits. And it, uh-huh. it was kind of a, a, a neutral kind of work. Um, he, yes. he was bringing happiness to people with his gift for just you know snapping the shutter at the right moment. And, yet, yes. and then sort of on the side, he had this deeper, more spiritual kind of work going on alongside it. And for lots of us, we may need to have a, a, a job or a career that's purposeful and meaningful but doesn't make full use of the many talents that we have. We need to find additional ways to bring those core talents into play. Yeah, there, there's a huge lesson in that. And there can be this in, there, there, there can sometimes be messaging that would lead you away from that and and that can be, as you said earlier, some a precarious, very adventurous way. Although sometimes people, and I know there are people listening out there at this time of day, especially at this time of year, there are people who have job changes, you know, a job ends. And there could be people out there listening today who are in that situation. And so there, right. you can be pulled. There are many stories of people starting their own business in that situation or, mm-hmm. you know, you may be pulled into a job like, you know, whatever it may be that's neutral and perhaps greater purpose, you know, this time mm-hmm. to explore that. And and so there's a lot of lessons. This is, there's so much to explore. We'll never capture it all. But um, I, that's really meaningful to me that Casey had that work. And even though he was exploring this much deeper, lasting purpose, that's inspiring to me, actually. And and yeah. helpful. Yeah. So I, I want to encourage your listeners to consider um, two or three things that they might do in their own life. I, 
I think one is to have some kind of a contemplative practice, whether you call it meditation or prayer or or something where for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes daily, you're setting aside time to invite the intuitive mind or a place of stillness and authenticity within you to have a little space for inspiration and expressiveness. I think that's just really critical. A second would be to kind of find some allies, not to try to do this by yourself. I think we all need a spiritual group or a a faith community or a couple of friends with whom you can talk about your inner life in a really safe and authentic and intimate way. I think that's just really important, the sort of social support side of being on this kind of discovery process. Yeah. And I think a third item would be take, to take some prudent risks. If we're not you know, failing at least occasionally, we're probably not trying hard enough. And I know many of us are risk-averse, but being willing to try some things out and have it not go the way you had hoped and kind of learn from that. Uh, kind of have a playful, exploratory, get-outside-your-comfort-zone sort of attitude towards life. I I think all of those things would be very helpful for people and for this host as well. So so thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I I'm certainly I'm as much a listener as anybody else. I I so appreciate talking with with people like you, Mark, and and I know you're yeah, helping you. a lot of people. And um, um, I. I just want to say thank you. We, we've sort of raced to the end of the hour here as, as we're, yeah. we're talking. And, um, Thanks for I, having I me on the show. Really, oh, well, well, thank you for, for being here. Um, is there a particular place where people can, can find you, Mark, that, that you recommend? Oh, the I mean, easiest I, I have way the is Amazon. online. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, the easiest way is yeah. online, just markthurston.com. My name run together okay. all is one word. It's M-A-R-K, Thurston, T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N.com. And it actually takes okay. you into the website of my uh, wife's and my organization to the bio page on me. But they can leave a message for me there. There's a link to the Amazon website for my book and so forth. Great. Okay. Well, thank you again for being here and just um, having this relaxed conversation and exploring. A You're very again. welcome. And I look forward to working with your book more because it's actually very meaningful for me at this time, and I think it's meaningful out there, no matter where you're at um, in exploring your your purpose. Because as you say, it's a continuing journey in life. It continually unfolds that we're discovering. So, So thank you from my heart. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. All right. Take care then. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. A quick show note here in the program. Um, I encourage you, once again, go to markthurston.com. I'll make sure that's out on the show page for you so you can access it there. And um, frontierbeyondfear.com is where you'll find this show highlighted for quite a while with Mark and any show in the archive that you'll be able to search for. And um, we have a show coming up on Monday, um, um, 
Tavitha Shanayan, ND, um, 12 p.m. Pacific. Um, Shakti Rising is the topic of a new book. So, And also the end of next week, we have Susie Miller coming back on the show on Friday, The Journey Back to Love. She's going to talk about some of her new work on Friday, November 17th. So continue to explore the schedule. I invite you and, and Thank you for being there, listeners. I appreciate you and, and your heartfelt sharing as well. So thank you, everyone, for supporting this show and just being open to listening to the various ideas being presented here. I appreciate your openness. So I hope you have a wonderful weekend if you're listening now or across time, wherever this show finds you. Um, There is much here to work with, and I hope that you listen deeply. Take care, everyone.